Welcome to Eclipsed, a Heroes podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Keisha. And we're going to talk about episode five today, Heroes. Not to be confused with the name of the show, it's just, it's Heroes, plural, there's two of them. Two. H-I-R-O-S, Heroes. <laughs> I like to think it was very like that when they were filming. They were like, you're talking about Heroes? Like, you know, if they're like saying the name of the episode, they're like, well, yeah, of course I'm talking about Heroes. Like, no, the name of the episode. Like, it gets very who's on first. Yeah. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything from the last episode, or just in general, that we want to talk about before? Before we get into it. I don't think so. I mean, we had a little cliffhanger for the content of last week's episode, but we're going to wait a while to get to it because we're, we're going to start with Matt first. <laughs> so last we left off, Matt Parkman had been abducted by the Horn Rim Glasses Moon and his silent compatriot. They were, they were testing him. They were trying to get a read. Not too terribly much happened, except for he was able to get Claire's name out of Bennett's head. So now we're seeing the aftermath of that, which was that apparently he was gone for a whole day. And his wife was freaking out because, and fairly so, because he's a police officer and he's just gone. And they have a dangerous job anyway for him to just not be around for a whole day and nobody knows where he is or what happened. Any number of bad things could happen to anyone, but especially a cop. So Janice is calling the precinct, which apparently we're getting the sense that she's been doing quite a bit over this 24-hour period. And Matt is on the couch. He's there. He shows up. He's got a super headache. He's tired. No real idea what happened because they took his memory. So he's confused. He just thinks, oh, you know, I went to a bar and drank a little too much, passed out, and here he is. Janice explains to him, you were gone for a day. What the hell? What is going on with you? They get into a little snit. She throws a phone at his face. I understand that we're trying to establish that they're not the best couple. I don't think literal abuse is a good way to make me want to root for them. But okay. <laughs> so she throws a phone at his face. They go through uh, this this whole episode. It's just a roller coaster of Janice's emotions that I swear to God only really are what they are because they fit what the scene needs them to be. And Janice is used like this a lot in the show. Uh, she's constantly like, oh, we need her to be happy now. We need her to be sad now. We need her to be worried now. She never feels like her own character. She's just something that's like a reaction piece to Matt. Uh, and, and, and a way for him to grow and use his power. Because that's what he does. He immediately tries to read her mind and tries to get all the answers. Like, how can, you know, how can I just make her happy and, you know, not really deal with any of our issues? Because <laughs> um, that's what's so funny is like he, he plans this romantic dinner and everything, which is nice, I guess. But you get the sense that she even is like, okay, this is cool. I do like these steaks. That, you know, that wine was all right. But they're not getting into actual communication. He's just cheating, kind of. Uh, just, you know, being able to just, like, hear her thoughts and just know all the answers before she can even have a moment to give the answers or have a second thought about what she actually wants or needs. And it's kind of controlling, and I don't know, I, I don't think the show means for it to come off that way necessarily. I think they mean for it to be like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, the, you know, the person you loved could just read your mind and then you guys wouldn't have any problems? Well, that's not true because that takes away the agency of the other person. And I think it's interesting, knowing what we know now, to see this 
Because Matt is really going to go ham with his power. He has a really dangerous power. And we haven't even begun to see the limits of what it can do. And we're already getting a sense that he's just going to use it all the time to just find the answers and not really have to, like, work for a lot. Not to struggle. He's just going to, you know, squint and read someone's mind and immediately know what to do or how to be the hero in this moment. Like when he's at the gas station after he and Janice have their little romantic dinner. And yes, he, they, you know, they sleep together, of course, (laughs) which again, I have my, my concerns about that in terms of their relationship, but okay. I just like, it just, they've always seemed like Matt and Janice have always seemed like the people, you know, who fight all the time and shouldn't be married anymore. And yet they're somehow still married. (laughs) They always seem like that in, in this show. Cause I get that they're trying to show, that Matt's got his, you know, that's his thing is he's got domestic issues. And then later on, he'll have other stuff too in the grander scope of the show. But right now it's like, oh, he's in, you know, a marriage that needs work. But oh, look, he can read minds. So he can just make everything work out now, right? Well, not exactly. But anyway, he ends up later on in a convenience store he uses his power to, well, read a lot of minds. He's doing it really, I think, I don't know if he's doing it passively or what, but he's doing it a lot. And anyone who's watched any little bit of pop culture ever knows that if you can read minds or do anything that is in a mental power and you use it too much too fast, you're gonna really put yourself through a lot of strain. And that's what happens uh, later on after he overhears the thoughts of somebody who's going to rob the convenience stories. And he's just trying to get some coffee ice cream for his wife after they had sex. And lo and behold, he's got to go be a cop now, which is funny because, you know, he doesn't have like his gun or anything on him. He's just like in his sweatpants. And so he hears this guy and he has this interesting moment where he uses his power to read the guy's thoughts in terms of like the people who care about him or the people he might be doing this for and so it's it's using like good cop skills while adding it with a power that not everybody has so you can see how he's going to use his ability to elevate his abilities as as a police officer and you know as a hero quote quote uh because he gets the guy to not do it he gets the guy to take the gun out and leave it and run and then matt stupidly picks it up (laughs) and uh, and he's only a gun in a convenience store he doesn't have a badge on him or anything. He's just in, like, his pajamas, basically. And he's like, no, wait, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. It's okay. And everybody's like, he doesn't look like any cop I've ever seen. He hears all the thoughts all too fast. And he totally does, like, the, like, nosebleed, like, oh, pass out. And so it's, it's like a, I don't know if it's, like, a karmic thing or whatever for trying to just constantly have his ability on so he can always have the answers. Kind of feels like that a little bit. But, yeah, that's, that's pretty much Matt. Matt is our, Matt is our island for this week. He's completely separate from everything and just dealing with Janice and not dealing with the Siler case at all, which is a bummer uh, because I like that side of it. I like seeing him as a police officer. I like seeing him with Audrey. That's my favorite version of Matt at first. I've never been a fan of his marriage scenes. I've never been a fan of how they write Janice, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much Matt in this episode. He's totally alone and he's not nearly as connected as everyone else is right now. In the convenience store, it felt like he wasn't in control of what he was listening to mm-hmm. until he heard the guy about to rob the store, which I mean, sure, the guy had a gun and was thinking about it, but you know, he never acted on it. That's a good point. People think things all the time that they don't act on. It's like the whole minority report thing. Yeah. Pre-crime. Because yeah, that, that is a little bit of foreshadowing to how Matt 
goes too far with his power later on because he's like, well, this person was gonna do this. Well, yeah, but they didn't. And you didn't know that they were going to. They might have changed their mind. He gets to decide in his mind. He gets to be like judge, jury, and executioner later on. And it's interesting because yeah, people have second thoughts. That's why we have that phrase. Yeah, like, Matt during this episode is the like the Nikki was, where it's like, this would have been a, the episode where you fast forward Matt. And it, it, yeah, it establishes, like you said, his relationship with his wife, which is like, again, not our favorite thing about him. Well, she's just not written very well, which is a big part of it. And she, as the series goes on, comes and goes. Yeah, they only, they only haul her out when they need her to be an antagonistic force to poor Matt Parkman. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell do we segue from this to Claire? <laughs> it's like, oh, Matt was totally alone in his own little storyline that was like, fine. Because <laughs> he, he's having the Nikki problem right now. Where it's like, if he's not working with Audrey on the Siler case or doing anything like that, then he's too separate from the action and I just can't care. <laughs> Yes. He does, though, unlike Nikki, really. I mean, I guess maybe I'll change my mind when we get into watching season two, etc. He does maintain a connection with another character, if I remember correctly, like immediately into season two. Oh, he does. He does. But right now in season one, it's like if you're a character who's not involved in one of like the big main threads, sorry. Nikki tends to fall more victim to it in season one than he does. Oh, big time. Big time. But like, this is just, yeah, early Matt. This is just where he's at. That'll change. But uh, yeah. The other island, but this island is by design. (laughs) 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 Mm-hmm. would be Claire, but she's sort of purposefully kept separate, you know. So if you remember in the, the last episode, Collision, we left off with Claire driving Brody's car into a wall because fuck Brody. Fuck Brody. We're immediately taken to the hospital. Sandra's there. She's all freaking out and Claire's like, I'm fine, mom. I'm fine. And Sandra's like, I have to call your father. I'm going to call your father. And she calls him, which ends up interrupting something with him later. But we'll get to that then. So HRG leaves what he was doing and comes back to see his daughter, who's been in a terrible accident even though we know that he knows that she's probably fine but he has to be there in order to clean up anything that might have come from that and they have a nice little heart to heart while she's laying in the hospital bed and he's like you can tell me anything honey it's fine you know i'm glad you're okay you can trust me claire and i wrote in my notes that like i feel like the way he said you have to trust me claire was not only saying it to claire but to the audience who as we've talked about before hrg is being painted as the villain the face of evil right now (laughs) the show and we haven't seen too much to point to that other than yes he abducted matt and yes he's being creepy with mohinder but there are actual murderers on the show (laughs) (laughs) so is he the face of evil i don't know anyway claire cracks and she tells him everything that happened she lets him know that i lied to you something did happen at the bonfire brody tried to rape me we got in a fight and he knocked me down and she conveniently obviously omits anything that has to do with her power because she doesn't think that he knows so we get to see this great hrg the father kind of thing Mm -hmm. and you're immediately like oh i hope he does something terrible to brody because as an audience that's just what i want you know Mm -hmm. like (laughs) fuck brody claire didn't want brody to die but she still drove the car into the wall because she knew he had to be stopped somehow and she even tells her father like i'm not the first person this has happened to like pretty much saying i had to stop him so then we because she did she did she stopped him but then hrg goes to talk to brody in his hospital bed and brody is a complete douchebag he's like i'm gonna sue you your daughter like did that on purpose nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and <laughs> hrg is like i know what you did and they have a little bit of a tit for tat and then he decides 
that he's going to give Brody a gift. And that gift is a second chance. Because out from behind the hospital curtain comes the Haitian. I'm just grinning over here. <laughs> and he says, go deep. Like, you know, like, just take everything. Take it all. Hollow him out. Hollow him out. <laughs> out and i might go so far to say that as of right now this is like <laughs> the worst thing that mm. hrg does in the entire series because does brody Ooh. deserve a second chance no <laughs> full stop full stop no <laughs> you fucked up here hrg he now not only gets to he doesn't get to live with the knowledge of what he did. It's gone. He doesn't know anymore. There is no way to know that even by hollowing out and taking anything that he won't do it again at some point in the future. Exactly. You could have just easily taken, like, I want you to forget about my daughter and, like, what you saw happen with her and let him know everything else that he did and just presume that it was, like, some kind of accident he doesn't remember. But no, instead he gives him a fucking gift that he doesn't have to remember the bad things he did. And I understand from a character's perspective why he, knowing what we know now, would want to give someone a second chance considering things that he himself has done so i understand that but like not the not equivalent i don't think hrg not equivalent at all <laughs> <laughs> see and then i'm gonna slide onto the other side of the debate table and i'm gonna say because i've been thinking a lot about this go for it i, I think while yes by taking everything is taking away the bad things he did and he's also taking away all of his good things he's a quarterback mm -hmm. like he he took away his memory of like his accomplishments he doesn't know his family he doesn't know himself i understand how on paper that's like oh that's a real fucked up thing to do to a guy you know make him live have no idea who the hell he is and everything's just a mystery to him and all that but then and it's like, okay, but he still has the potential to become that same person again. So I understand what you're saying by, by saying that that wasn't exactly the right thing to do. I get that it was him trying to look intimidating and being a protective father, which, you know, points, points for that, Mr. Bennett, for sure. And using his considerable connections and the people he knows who can do incredible things to, you know, do this thing. But yeah, no, fuck Brody. <laughs> fuck Brody. He, he should have, he should, yeah, he should 100% just like, well, he should have died, first of all. <laughs> well, I feel like they didn't want him killing a kid right there in like episode five. And they didn't want Claire to live with that kind of guilt because she already has guilt after she does it. Yes. Which, okay, I get that they're trying to paint her as you know it's it's the whole like she has to be a hero she has to rise above when you know bad guys do bad things she can't be it's the batman thing you know mm -hmm. like where can't go to their level brody might kill someone even accidentally but claire can't you know because yeah that's the thing is like if claire was not claire he'd have killed her and fucking hidden her body that's number yeah, one it'd be done number two you're yeah. taking away his memory of it but you're not taking away Lori's or claire's or whoever else might have been a victim of his they're all gonna remember this. this is true this is true do you remember if you felt differently at the time like the first time at the time it? i probably didn't um i don't think i was as upset about it at the time <laughs> I, same like looking at it now i was like actually Episode, I was like, ooh, like you do a lot of shit, HRG. And this is probably, like I said, one of the worst things you ever do. Because, and not even to Brody, I just think like this was a fuck up on your part, dude. A fuck up. Because I, I get what you're saying where it's like, it's also a punishment because he doesn't remember his accomplishments and everything. But as I said, everyone around him and especially his other victims get to remember. At the time, it's like, yeah, hollow them out. Make him, make him a vegetable. But they don't make him a vegetable. They 
keep him intact mentally. He just doesn't, yeah, he just doesn't have many memories of the good or bad things that he's done. I was hoping they were just gonna, they were, I was hoping they were just gonna mentally fuck him up. Because fuck Brody. <laughs> That was what I was hoping the Haitian was gonna do. And then when he's all talking to Claire, I was like, uh, oh, come on, fuck this guy. So that was that was pretty much Claire in her time in the hospital. But if you remember back, I mentioned that when Sandra called HRG, she interrupted him. And we'll get into that now, what she interrupted him doing. So when Sandra calls Mr. Bennett, she's interrupting his work trip that I mentioned from the last episode where he and the Haitian show up in the hotel room of one Nathan Petrelli, where he is in bed with Nikki after their wild night together. When he says, take the one, it was Nathan that they were talking about. So they grab him. They're hauling him through the parking lot to whatever vehicle they have waiting. Nathan goes on this whole spiel. I'm a congressional candidate. You don't know who I am. This is a big mistake. Is this about money? All the usual things to say and Bennett and the Haitian just like huh yep sure this is happening just go with it you know come quietly kind of thing Nathan doesn't come quietly (laughs) that's not who he is and one of my favorite things about okay this is one of my favorite Nathan episodes it just gives us so much extra character stuff about him example when Bennett gets the phone call that interrupts him He immediately uses this as the advantage that it is to get free from them by kicking Bennett in the face. (laughs) One of my favorite things in anything ever. Oh my goodness, I love that. He just kicks him in the face and he gets free from their grip and he really doesn't want to do it because he's so self-loathing about his power. But damn if he doesn't fly and very well away from them. Which is whoosh, which is so great. I love it. You can tell, like, as soon as he gets to the fence and he's like, fuck, I'm gonna have to do it. I hate doing it. I don't even like to admit I can do it, but I'm gonna do it because I'm getting away because it's what I can do. And I love that he kicks him in the face and I love that he's just immediately like, ah, he takes his chance and he goes for it because Nathan was in the military. Yes. Like, this is important to note. He's not just some, I don't know, easy victim. Just because he has a, a power that, you know, yeah, he can fly away from danger, but he can fight too. On a human level, he can fight. He's fight, he's flight and fight both. He's both, which is cool. So Nathan flies away. Meanwhile, after Hiro and Ando had a split over a difference in opinion of um, whether or not they should be cheating after some thugs dropped them off out of town and didn't do anything else, by the way, Rachel. I'm serious. Those are some soft thugs. Well, they They, they roughed them up. up, sure. Well, yeah, okay, they beat Ando up, but they just drop them off in the desert with luggage. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> like, have you ever seen any other thing where people cheat? Like, I'm talking about, like, something like casino or something. It could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it could have been a lot worse. There could have been shovels in the desert. My guess is that Andal folded, like, a chair and gave the money back. Probably. And we just didn't get to see it. I just thought that was really funny. I was like, <laughs> oh, and they got them their luggage, too. That's real nice. They didn't have to do that. So they they have a fight about Hiro using his powers to do this and how that's the dark side. And they go their separate ways. So Hiro's alone in this diner in the middle of nowhere, still in Nevada probably, called the Fly-By-Night Diner. (laughs) Wink. And who should fly by? And the only person to notice being Hiro, but Nathan. Nathan flies in, has a hard landing, 
which is so funny because he's like no shoes on because they took him in his pajamas. <laughs> he's like ah, you know, because it's sand. So, I just I, I love that. I love how he plays the whole bit. He comes in for a landing. He's just in striped pajama pants. He's in literally nothing else. He comes in through the door and he's like yeah, ha ha. Let's make fun of the guy with you know no clothes on. Or, you know, one of you guys could let me have your cell phone for a second, and I also will take a cup of coffee and one of those t-shirts. You know, they have, like, the diner t-shirts that all the waitresses wear. So, I love how he instantly just handles the, the situation. Like, yes, this is embarrassing, I'm not in an ideal space, but I take control of the moment because I'm Nathan Petrelli and that's who I am and it's what I do. Because he's just so damn charming. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of charisma. Someone gave him their cell phone to use. We didn't see it. But he gets picked up later. Someone did. That's wild. You ever ask anybody for your cell phone in public? You ever, like, you ever try that? You ever, you know, you have, like, a dead battery and really go, can I use your cell phone? People don't give those up. Not to people they don't know. Not to shirtless weirdos they don't know. (laughs) But he's just so damn charismatic. He can get anything from anyone. So he goes in to the diner and he sits down. And Hero is just full-on glee face. Oh my god, this guy just flew. He's living his comic book dream right now. This is what he wanted. And he goes and strikes up a conversation with him and he's like, flying man. And Nathan's like, could you could you not? Could you not with this? I didn't want to have to do that, but I did it, so let's forget about it. I don't like talking about my power that I don't have. And so they have a little conversation and Hero's just all just excitement and giddiness and doesn't, you know... He, he could he could never understand someone who would want to just be normal because it, it's it's like the thing with like Claire and Zach you know where where Zach's like why wouldn't you want to be super powered it's amazing and Claire's like no I'm a freak and it's ruining my life because her life was cool and she was popular and things were swell and Zach gets beat up so like you know you see someone like Hero who lived like a really 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 boring like office drone existence and he could never understand why somebody would not want to have a power and be special. But look at, like, Nathan. He had it all. He didn't need that on top of it. So I I always like the dichotomy uh, between, you know, characters like that. It's interesting that it's Nathan and Claire are the ones that seem to, Mm. of everyone, um, find it the most inconvenient for their lives. That's the word for it. It's an absolute inconvenience, except for when it's not. So Hero... In his excitement, he just tells Nathan everything because he's like, yes, finally, someone like me. I need to tell you everything. New York's going to explode in however many weeks, and this is all going to happen, and we need to do this and that. Nathan's just like, oh, well, that seems sucky about New York being gone. I guess that's bad. But also, (laughs) in this future that you apparently saw, uh, how do I do in the election? Serious question. So... (laughs) (laughs) fucking nathan he's so opportunistic and hero's like oh it's so great you you win landslide and nathan's like all right all right that's cool i just love his little face where he's like huh yeah all right (laughs) fantastic (laughs) sips coffee you know um so then later on once he gets picked up and he gives hero a ride i actually think we should mention that yes he didn't have to do that i i struggle whether or not it was entirely altruistic i don't think it was i think he was doing damage control because he didn't want this guy going around the diner talking to other people about what he did um, I think it was two things. I think it's both. It can be both. I think it's also because he probably reminds him of Peter. Oh, right. And while he's like, oh my God, shut the fuck up, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> he can't tell it to this Japanese guy. <laughs> just like, yeah, yep. just you know, come in the car. We'll have, a, we'll have a chat, you know. We'll just have a chat. Oh. 
He taught him a little bit of Japanese because he says a little Japanese when they get out of the car, which is adorable. So yeah, they he gives them <laughs> he gives them a ride uh, back to their hotel so we can get the car. Uh, and <laughs> he gives them he gives them a button, doesn't he? The Vote Petrelli button. Yes. He has the button on, and he, and he knows how to say like Vote Petrelli, which is great. Early and often. And so, <laughs> and so Nathan's back at the hotel now. So it's like serious, serious time again. He understands that he needs to go in there and he needs to deal with this Linderman thing. And then he needs to just get the hell out of town. He immediately goes and he ends up crossing paths with the beautiful woman from last night once more. And that brings us back to uh, where Nikki's at in this episode. Following her night where things didn't go as she had planned. No, she gets to wake up all alone in a nice hotel room where last she remembered she left. And, uh... Nathan's campaign advisor comes in. He's like, where the hell is he? You're coming with me. And they get intercepted by Sakamoto, who's like, if you have a problem, it's with me. And she kind of saves Nikki a little bit there. And... (laughs) <laughs> let's Nikki know like you did your job Linderman has seen the tape and he is thrilled with what you got for us and Nikki's confused she's like but I didn't though and what did you <laughs> do to me and Sakamoto's like you had a lot of things done to you but none of them were by me oh my god she's so brutal <laughs> <laughs> So Nikki's debt free now, but she has to live with the idea of like, well, I didn't do it, but I did. And that's when she sort of runs into Nathan and he's all like, you know, doesn't he think like she had something to do with it? Like a little bit. 100%. He thinks that she had something to do with the guys that tried to grab him. Yes. And then she thinks that he did something to her because she can't remember. Yes. Yeah, they both deny that it's the other way. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we had a great dinner. You left and then you came back and I had the best night of my life. Nikki kind of gets it, I think, that, oh, I the switch happened. I jessica again. <laughs> whoops. And, <laughs> oh, whoops a days. Because she's like, I don't want to be the person that I was last night. I want to be a good person, a good mother. And Nathan's like, Mm. you were a good person last night. I saw a strong, you know, beautiful woman last night. You were a good person. She also then lets it drop like, I didn't want to do this last night. I was blackmailed. And now you are going to be too. Nathan kind of takes it more in stride than I remember him taking it. Oh, yeah. Now, this is, this is, this is just another Monday for him. I swear I remember like thinking back like he used to get like he got really pissed but apparently I was wrong. Like yeah he just kind of took it in stride. He knows how to twist it. And he does twist it which uh why don't you let us know how he twists it. So he's like all right he learns he's gonna be blackmailed with this tape of him screwing another woman who's not his wife or the mother of his children and he uses this knowledge in addition to what I believe Hero tells him about how he wins in the future. And he just goes ahead and he's like, all right, you want to play that game, Linderman? We can play that game. He demands that instead of $2 million, which is what he came to town for, that Linderman contribute $4 million to his campaign. <laughs> Sakamoto's like, what the hell? Not what we agreed on. Not going to happen. Nathan's like, eh, here's how that's going to work. So with $2 million... Linderman has a candidate in his pocket, but with four million, he has a congressman. And he's not wrong because it's all about money. <laughs> I mean, like, it, yeah, it's it, it really does make or break all these things. Plus, yeah, he part of me wants to be like, I bet he believes Hero because he's seen what Peter can do. Like, there are people who can do things. Hero might be one of them. Um, he, you know, he he could use that knowledge to be like, oh, I won in a landslide. Cool. Well, I got to make sure that happens, and this is probably, you know. 
a way to make sure that happens. Plus, he just wanted to stick it to Linderman for doing what he did. Oh, of course. And how you stick it to someone like that is funny. But, yeah, that's how Nathan twists it uh, after he has his little uh, slight confrontation with Nikki. But then we see Nikki go back home, a debt-free woman. Yeah, she's no more favors for Mr. Linderman, hopefully. She goes back home and um, police are there. And there's a whole bunch of police in her house. She immediately thinks, oh God, where's Micah? And they tell her that DL has been spotted a couple towns over. So they're there to keep her safe. And she's like, if he's here, you can't keep us safe. You know, he's a murderer. You can't keep us safe. So the police are on high alert when someone is seen coming to the house and everyone freaks out. And lo and behold, the person coming up to the door is not DL but Ando. And you you would think that the cops, especially they all know what DL looks like, would be like, someone's coming to the door. It's not DL, but someone is coming to the door. Because <laughs> they do not look anything alike in the slightest. That's true. They really do kind of go all off, don't they? Like, someone's coming. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's DL. Ah. Ah. <laughs> it's like, high alert. But no, it's Ando. <laughs> and <laughs> Nikki's like, uh... How did you find me? And he's like, you know, yeah, it's me. It's Huggers. Uh, I looked up your, um, what was it? It was the Who Is database, which, Jesus, Ando, like, that's not cool at all. But didn't he say, like, you need to take yourself off there or something after? Yeah, you need to unlist yourself from that, <laughs> yeah. which, holy fuck, you shouldn't even be looking at that. Oh, Ando. Because I know exactly what he's talking about. Yes. This is probably the first time Nikki's ever run into that problem with her website, or someone would show up. I mean... If it's that easy to find her, she needs to. He's taught her a valuable lesson. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Maybe Micah can show her how to do that. (laughs) I bet he could. Why didn't Micah do that Uh already? He's too busy, like, playing with broken computers. I don't know. Like, uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> you're grounded. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Why didn't Micah do that already? But, you know, he's a kid. Yeah. Maybe he didn't think about he it. He just go, boop, maybe. Yeah. He didn't realize it was that big of a thing, but now he knows. I bet he, I bet he got right on that, actually. He probably did. Lucky for Nikki, it's Ando, who is basically harmless. <laughs> She's like, you know, you shouldn't have did this. This is my home. My kid is here. And you can see Ando's kind of like, yeah, maybe I did fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> at least he realizes it yeah so she lets him off easy and because the police are like you want us to charge him with trespassing we'll do it we'll do it right here now she says no let him go home so ando you know gets to leave the house it was nice meeting you and he leaves <laughs> which again ando what were you thinking <laughs> i honestly it's like it's like okay he does know someone who lives nearby i get that but like you don't know her like <laughs> Oh, yeah. Because he does the whole thing where he's like, I thought because we talk so much. And uh, it's like, no, hun, she's doing her job. You got to keep him on the line because that's how, you know, that works. You got to keep him interested. She's a lot nicer to him than she could have been. I think luckily for Ando, there were more cops there. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica just comes flying out. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Who the fuck Uh... are you? (laughs) <laughs> you can you can just, you can just tell like Jessica's just in there like let me out of like ooh yeah <laughs> the house where my son our son sleeps yes how yeah. dare you yeah <laughs> so I guess it was lucky for Ando as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Ando gets let off easy the police let him go mm-hmm. um the police are also like well go, going taking a step back. The police had told Nikki before Ando showed up that they had DL in custody 
two days ago and he Houdini'd again. He's very good at that. He's very good at getting away from things. And like Nikki said, if, if he's here, he, he'll be able to get to us. But the police, they're like, I guess it was, you know, we're not seeing anything, so we're gonna leave. We'll leave a squad car out front, keep an eye on you. So Nikki goes to bed and she hears, as she's like checking on Micah, she can hear a sound in the house, but she doesn't see anything. And then the camera pulls back and we see DL leaning up against the wall in the house. He's in the house. And this is the first time that we see DL always in the photograph, but this wasn't the case of he wasn't cast yet because he was in the unaired pilot original cut that we will eventually talk about at some point in the future. So we get our first taste of DL. And that's the end of Nikki's story, but now we go back to Ando and Hero for a moment where (laughs) they both reunite in the garage of the casino because... Hero can't figure out how to drive the Nissan, so he's just stuck there. And, and the instructions are in English, so he's kind of like, hell. And that kind of answers my question. He can't read English either, apparently. At least not anything that technical. True, true. So Ando comes. They kind of have a little slight apology moment. And Ando's like, you know what? Let's let's call the painter again. And that gets Hero back into a good mood. And let's go from there, so. Yeah, they need to call the painter again because they are on a very important mission. And... Part of that goes all the way back to last week's cliffhanger with the, oh boy, the incident um, in on, on the train where time was stopped, everyone was frozen except for Peter, and Peter gets to meet Future Hero. And they talked for a little bit, but Future Hero didn't give him uh, the message. And the message, it basically boils down to this, save the truth. Save the world. <laughs> Remember they used to do they that on the ads? They used to whisper the it. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you I was going to do that. Um, <laughs> I could have so. dreamed you would have, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> save the cheerleader, save the world. That's right. The thing that most people remember when they even think about the show even a little bit, that phrase right there. The thing everyone mentioned in other shows, the thing that I'm pretty sure was a Jeopardy clue. Um... Yeah, save the cheerleader, save the world. He explains to Peter that the cheerleader is the key. Cheerleader must live. So he gives him these little nuggets to, you know, think about. But then he's like, all right, I can't stay. I already am risking a real time rift even just doing this. But this is how it has to go down. You need to tell me in the now what I just told you. You need to get me on this. So he leaves. Time resumes. Uh, Mohinder, as far as he knows, is still just super grumpy and hasn't seen proof of anything. And poor Peter now is so excited and so excitable. And he gets to be like, oh my god, this guy just came. He had a sword. He stopped time. That's what happened. Mohinder has no concept of this because he, you know, was stopped. He's just like, oh my god, this guy, I'm so done with this. I like to think Mohinder is that little great moment from that episode of It's Always Sunny where Charlie's doing The Nightman Cometh and he's like, I'm, he can't be here right now. You know, holds his hand. He's like, you're putting me here. Just, you know, just lifting his hand like you're here. And just, you're, you're all just, you're just driving me crazy. I'm so done with all of this. So Peter's like, oh my God, we have to go back to that six <laughs> who they just came from. And Mohinder's like, no, no, I'm done. I'm so done. And Peter's like, come on, just go with me. And I tell you what, if not, you know, nothing comes to this, I'll just, I'll, I'll take you to the airport myself. And Mohinder just turns right back around, just Z snaps him. And he's like, oh, you're going to fly me there yourself? Because <laughs> he's an asshole. Oh, 
Oh, God. No, I mean, like, it's like, like, to be fair, Mohinder hasn't seen anything. This is all just a big runaround in his perspective. So I get that. But you do have that moment as the audience where you're like, just give him a little bit of, just a little crumb. Just a little crumb of what's left of your faith. But yeah, he's done. Uh, so Peter, okay, Peter has to do this on his own. That's fine. So Peter goes back to Isaac. And I love how he just has no concept of how awkward this is because he's got his quest now. Nothing else matters. The fact that he boned his ex irrelevant uh, so <laughs> we have we have stuff to do so he shows up to just shows up to isaac lets himself right in and isaac is coming down so he's like blanket on just full on like not not feeling it not feeling nothing and he's real frustrated because he went through all this and what did he do he just painted a bunch of pictures of some cheerleader and some school maybe i don't know what this has nothing to do with New York or the explosion or saving people in New York. What? This is a waste of time. Waste of heroin and a waste of time. But Peter's like, no, 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 this is it. This is the thing. And he gets real excited and he starts like looking at all the paintings. And that's cool because you really get like a chance to kind of linger over all of them and really like take in the details and kind of put the story together like how Peter is. And I love how Peter, he takes the paintings. Which he asks for permission for none of this, by the way. He's just there and Isaac just is just not feeling well enough to not kick him out. So he's not happy about him being there, but he's just like, oh, okay, like this is happening, I guess. This fucking annoying guy. And so Peter's in there and he's moving his paintings around and he's hanging them up and he's like, look, they tell a story like a comic book. Really, Peter? You want to tell the guy who does comic book art how sequential art works? Is that what you want to do? Because it's what you're doing. <laughs> That really struck me this time. I was like, I feel like he knows how, how a comic book works, Peter. You don't need to say this to me or the audience. Um, but he puts them together and he's trying to figure out, like, the narrative of the story. But he doesn't really have a lot to go on. Because, yeah, he sees the cheerleader and he sees her little uniform and stuff. But it's not, like, super clear. I mean, that could look like a million cheerleader uniforms. And you got to admit, like, this is before smartphones and stuff were as they were. And you couldn't really just have all this information like oh god you could probably like stick that painting into a google search in the real world you know and they'd be like oh this looks like this cheerleader's outfit from this school do you know what i mean like i don't even know if you could like that is uh there are a lot of schools i don't know that like that maybe kind of yeah and stuff so yeah yeah that's true it's a really like it's just red and white you know a lot of schools have that for colors so he doesn't have very much to go on but he knows that this is the thing this is the thing that needs to be focused on and then he and then he sees this is really a great moment where peter sees the explosion like really sees it the painting on the floor and he immediately has a completely different reaction to nathan learning about it because nathan you can tell is just like oh yeah that's less than ideal someone should, should you know Maybe that shouldn't happen because I need to win my election and I can't do that if New York's a crater. But Peter immediately, you could just see him just like, oh, like he's, he's taken aback by it. You know, he, this is his city. This is his home. It's a different reaction for him entirely. And so while he remains concerned about that, he needs to focus on, you know, the goal at hand. There's a painting that is unfinished at the moment. But Isaac is out of wink, painting supplies wink. And so he's like, hey, man, if you have any cash on you, we could call the commission. I could finish this thing. I just got to get my supplies. Peter 
is just like, ah, oh, no, that's not a thing. Well, he doesn't say no to him. He just kind of ignores him. <laughs> yeah, he just ignores him. <laughs> he's a nurse. He's not going to get you heroin. Because <laughs> like, so, he's too busy, like, really staring at it and, and he's feeling something. And Peter picks up the paintbrush and Isaac's like, you paint? He's like, no. He's like, but I drew the future once. It was just stick figures, but let me give this a go. And he sits there and sure enough, he finishes the painting and it's the cheerleader and she's on the floor dead and the top of her head's removed. And it's really familiar, isn't it? That's like something we've seen in a couple episodes. Yes. Not only that, she's being loomed over by a large shadow. A face of evil, if you will. Wearing a baseball um, hat, it seems like. A large shadow. And a big coat. Yeah, a baseball hat, probably. So, he finishes that, and it's like, oh, there's Claire with her head removed. and Or her top of her head removed. And her brain's gone, and it's like, oh, that's not good. That's We gotta save her. That's, you know, something we need to prevent. Um, I always thought... <laughs> I did put this in my notes. I thought it would be fucking hilarious if you picked up the paintbrush and it was stick figures again. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. This little stick figure of Claire is all what? <laughs> like, <laughs> on, on, on like, the rest of this beautiful Tim Sale artwork <laughs> on campus. And it's just like, stick. You know? Well, Red. I'd argue because he's close to Isaac compared to like just... <laughs> secondhand rubbed off like he was in the first episode that mm. maybe he, he somehow got his artistic ability from him as well i'm 100 percent sure that's what they're saying but it would have been really funny oh my god it's like well yeah you can paint the future but you can't paint so yeah oh <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because um, he paints it and it's just very in line with the Tim Sale style of the show. Spoiler alert, another character is going to get this ability and their paintings don't look anything like that. They're a lot different. They're a lot uh, less clean. The style evolves, but yeah. So it's fun that they actually have the artist who works on Heroes be like, hey, so this character's doing this, so it needs to look like this. But when this character does this, it needs to look angrier, sloppier perhaps because peter doesn't do it at least with the paintings very often i think this is his one one of the few goes he has at it correct um yes i think he has another i want to say there is another painting moment i want to say peter doesn't wear the white contact lenses as much as someone else ends up doing it because it's been like 10 but he years does get to, he does get to do it again though doesn't he <laughs> i seem to remember See, peter had like a sketchbook of doing a rewatch yeah he has a sketchbook that's true but we see another character do it a fair amount. That's for another day. <laughs> That's for another day. And while he's having this interaction with Isaac, the phone rings. And Isaac's like, oh, no, you know what? Just don't answer it. This Japanese guy keeps calling, leaving messages. It's a whole thing. And Peter just perks right up like, oh, because this is it. This is the moment. This is what Future Hero told him. So he goes and he goes to answer the phone. And he says those wonderful words when Hero's on the other line. And he says, my name is Peter Petrelli and I have a message for you. And that's going to bring our characters close together once again as we zoom on towards... I mean, this is basically leading towards the homecoming arc now. We're, we're in, like, that arc, which is one of the biggest of the show. And it's exciting to, to watch it all come together. And I can't wait to see, again, 
uh, all the little steps that we're going to take along the way. In this episode, it kind of shows that Peter and Isaac would work really well together if it weren't for Simone. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like Simone's entire purpose is to keep those two characters from working together. True. Like, her point is to keep a wedge in between them, even if, like, like a Simone-shaped wedge in between them. And that's, (laughs) from toe to tip, their relationship has got a Simone-shaped wedge in it one way or the other. Yeah, because they're both very willing and uh, able in in most cases to embrace what they can do and what they can do for the world. And Peter believes in him. They would arguably make a good team if Isaac was clean. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, the whole Simone thing, yeah. Because I'm I'm sitting here going like, uh, spoiler territory, could Peter have saved Isaac? (laughs) Oh boy. But I'm like, what was Peter doing at that time? He was was doing something else, I know that. He, He was elsewhere, I think. Well, yeah, I don't remember. All right, that was episode five, and uh, we're really we're really getting to some really great stuff right now. Really iconic season one stuff that's only going to grow as we keep going. But uh, thank you for listening to us, and I'm going to take it over to Rachel, and she's going to tell you about all the ways you can get a hold of us on social media and beyond. You can send us an email, eclipsedpod at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at eclipsedpodcast. Uh, we are available to listen a whole bunch of places right now. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, I think is the other one. Mm-hmm. Clearly, if you're listening to this, you found your preferred method. <laughs> and are probably listening to us there. Get a hold of us. Let us know how we're doing. You can leave a review on one of those sites if you'd like. We'd love to hear what you think. So thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Next time on Eclipsed, Claire holds a bake sale, Mohinder the Lizard returns, and Isaac meets his biggest fan. Tune in. Save the cheerleader. Save the world.